pretty straightforward, which is what does a great attendee experience look like for you as the organizer? What do you want that attendee to walk away feeling or experiencing? I feel like sometimes people forget about that and they're just kind of like, well, I sold them a ticket. Like I got how many thousands of people to show up, right? But I would say like for our events, like we try to think about, hey, if I'm a founder attending a founder event, did I come away with some tangible takeaways that I can think about or apply to my own business? Did I meet other people that I thought were nice and helpful? Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.braveseaa.com. Did you know that over 70% of B2B trades are conducted on credit terms? However, many suppliers struggle to support this, leading to lost business opportunities. Fluid offers instant B2B financing with one tap, seamlessly integrating with marketplaces and supplier platforms. This payment flexibility empowers buyers to secure their purchases on credit terms or installments. This results in increased basket sizes and influx of new buyers for suppliers. Fluid provides a great user experience and the ability to facilitate high-velocity trade. This differentiates Fluid from traditional digital lenders and invoice financing companies. Want to learn more? Get in touch with Tracy, Fluid's co-founder at T-R-A-S-Y at G-O-F-L-U-I-D dot I-O to learn more. Hey, Shuyen. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Good. It's uh, another round of conference season. So it feels like there was one spike in September and now November, there's another spike that we have here. I know. It's like the F1 Super Returns Switch FinTech Festival Q4 Madness. Yeah. And then we're going to throw in all the alumni galas this month on a social event, Thanksgiving events. I do think it's funny that we celebrate Thanksgiving in Singapore or like certain pockets of people celebrate Thanksgiving in Singapore and not necessarily the people you would imagine. Obviously, a lot of folks study in the U.S. as well as, you know, the U.S. base. Then also the Ray Dalio Scott. Singapore is the most U.S. friendly out of all of the ASEAN folks in his recent article. I think we'll talk about it next time around the U.S.-China dynamics, but it is what it is. So we were thinking about talking about conferences and how to make the best use of them and either attendee perspective or as a speaker slash participant and organizer because we've gone through so many of them and we've been... <laughs> each other's conferences as well. So, all right, let's start with the spicy stuff first. What's the worst moments slash worst thing that bugs you about conferences? Oh, man. I know this is why you keep me on the pod just to say outrageous things, but still. I think conferences have a real purpose. It's like a great collection point of people and topics, but sometimes because of the things you have to do to get a conference organized, you need sponsors, right? You need certain people to show up, things like that. I think organizers kind of like twist themselves into knots and then you end up with weird setups. So I think one thing is when you have too many people on a panel. Because people are trying to be inclusive and maybe some of those people were sponsors, you kind of like shove them all into a panel. 
And then it ends up not being a conversation, really. I think it's really hard to have more than three people on a panel, personally. Including the moderator? Excluding the moderator. Because it's hard to just have a conversation with eight people or ten people. And everybody just passes the mic around and you say your three points. And like, how much can you actually get done in 45 minutes or an hour? And you can't really build off of each other's. You can't really debate. I think that's people don't really think through the flow of how the conversation is going to go. So I think that's one sort of pet peeve I have is that it seems like a waste of the people. Because clearly you see these people and you see their backgrounds and you're like, oh, these are really knowledgeable people. They will provide a super interesting insight, but somehow the format doesn't allow the moderator to pull that insight out. And so then it feels like a giant waste of time. And then everyone's on their phones anyway, which is we didn't all come to this ballroom with very expensive parking to be on our phones listening to something that is useful. Right. So, so I think that one like pet peeve I have. I think on the flip side, my other pet peeve is like pre-panel prep calls, which actually should be emails basically someone would be like let's do a prep call and you're just like let's not because there's like people from six different time zones or whatever it is it's really hard to coordinate and then you get on the call and it's let's read this email together and you're like why are we doing this so that's my speaker pet peeve okay i've done complaining now your turn jeremy my turn. I think that we discussed this previously in the past, uh, but I'm happy to hear a point of view as well. For me, it's when all corporates speak and there isn't a point of view uh, that's being clear in terms of your insights and whatever it is. I think in terms of any topic, I think there's three ways that you really can add value, right? I think the first is that you can be descriptive, you can be factual, you can bring numbers. So you're an expert and you're not necessarily providing a point of view, but at least you're providing some level of details. This is like approach. when the consultants come on, they yeah, have the their report, come on. right? Per our research... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's not much of a point of view from my perspective, but they're very factual and very descriptive. And you're like, you know what? That is value. You don't necessarily need to have a point of view, but you're just saying these are things that are happening. And then you're like, you know what? I didn't know that. These are things I didn't know about digital penetration or the seventh most common use app in X country. These are all interesting facts. I think there's one good way to add value. The second way, a good way to add value is if you have a point of view. So you're just like different, right? You're actually speaking something. And then thirdly is, you know, you're funny, right? So at least it's a charming conversation, right? And I think the, the best is you get at least two out of three. I don't know, hopefully like charming and, you know, contrarian, right? Or charming and factual or factual and contrarian and you're not charming, you know? I think you get two out of three, that's like a good one. But I just feel like there's a lot of conversations where you're like one out of three or worse, like zero out of three. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. like a good rule of thumb is that if it sounds like a press release, you shouldn't be on a panel. There's no value to being synchronous and live. That's actually what it is. The pandemic has made me much more impatient about low quality synchronicity. If it's going to just be not that interesting, I would rather read it quickly sometime else, not have to consume it in a specific location at a specific time. I mean, that's, you know, life, right? Everything is competing with everyone else. And at a conference, if there's a panel, the truth is you're competing against networking outside the conference rooms. Yeah, that was always true. It's just that I do feel like the pandemic has, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, made me much less tolerant. Sometimes I'm in something, I'm like, God, these people need to talk faster. Why can't I put them at 1.8? So that's if it's a monologue and it's not a conversation, then I probably should watch the video, right? But I think what is awesome or with the potential of live events is that synchronous interplay. And that's kind of what people should be striving for in structuring panels and thinking about what the shape of that conversation should be. 
Yeah, I think one interesting trick that I've been working on as a moderator when I do come on is speaking with the panel saying, hey, have this conversation at an expert level, right? And what I mean by that is a lot of people can necessarily in front of the audience, they kind of like really overly simplify or say something that's very lowest common denominator because it's a large group. You're speaking in front of 100 people, 200 people. But the thing I keep saying is, hey, have this conversation at an expert level because at least if you're speaking to each other in a context, because on a panel, everybody should be an expert you've been created. So yeah. talk to each other as experts. Um, we had a then, great yeah, event yeah. on on this topic, which is this last week, we had an Angel Squad event where we had Hassan is the head of Coinbase for Singapore and Yamki, who's VP of policy at Circle. And so they're clearly speaking at an expert level and they were facilitated by the head of tech innovation at Julius Baer. So I thought it was a really good conversation because you had industry, you had policy, you had potential enterprise customer type of setup. And there was some term definition. Hey, here's an overview. Here's what's going on. But I think there were like good, healthy back and forth debates yeah. on the sort of salient issues that the industry is facing. So I like that framing that you have. Hey, just talk as experts and duke it out. Yeah, because you give people the tone and say, hey, you want to please be contrarian. Nobody wants to do that because everybody wants to be agreeable. But you say, please be an expert. Because I think people don't understand these days that the audience is really sophisticated. If you're walking around, the, the audience is like, if there are two experts talking, you actually see the audience, if it's really expert, on their phones Googling. Like they're asking themselves, okay, this person mentioned ASEAN, ABC, right? And someone's going to be typing A-S-E-A-N just to figure out what it is. And I think there's a folks that is way more sophisticated than they used to be. And also the fact that they turn up your panel means that they're not a beginner right? It means that they're interested. An interested beginner in the age of the internet is basically an intermediate person, pre-internet, because they can Google anything they want to do. And intermediate folks want to hear expert conversations. And expert in a room, honestly, they're either listening just to hear you speak and get your point of view, or they're on the panel. So you might also have an expert conversation. But I think moderators can take a stronger stance too. Sometimes moderators are just like traffic cops. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really like that. And I think there is a role for a moderator to like synthesize, redirect, focus, really just try to like help to play the role of the audience champion, which is like, hey, folks in the audience probably have this level of understanding. Here's where they are. Can you give them a couple of like guideposts from this point forward so that we can like shape this conversation? The moderator needs to have a strong point of view on what their job is in the conversation versus sometimes you're just like, what is the moderator doing? Are they reading off a list of very prepared questions and clearly the conversation is going to the left, off. which is actually interesting, but then it's supposedly off, which is not off because it's an expert conversation. And then you're trying to I'm already trying to pull that person back to this script that nobody's very interested in a fundamental structural level. That can be a tough one. And that's why I often say when I'm moderating, I always kind of like, here, look, here's the five to 10 questions that we could ask. But I'm going to follow the conversation where it's going to go. That's the most interesting aspect of it. So just take this as, as a guide. Uh, oh, and the other thing is always make sure there's time for audience to ask questions. I don't understand why panels go for the whole hour. And I'm just like, just structure 20 to 30 minutes for audience Q&A, right? Worst case, so you circle back to some of the questions. But I think audience engagement is such a big part of why people come to panels anyway because they want to meet them they want to have that moment I think yeah, is important I think on that though that is like another good early engagement trick is to get the audience engaged up front do a show of hands on some of the hey what's your baseline knowledge or you take a quick poll like who believes controversial thing X versus controversial thing Y and then that kind of gets the mm. audience dialed in and then you can kick off into the conversation with the panelists yeah I think one I'm going to use that in the future why I normally do at the start is I tell the audience 
and I promised them that there is going Q&A. to be Q&A at X time mark and I asked them to prepare questions beforehand because some people take time to process questions. Some people are more extroverted they come up with questions on the fly. But, you know, giving people like 20, 30 minutes to hear but also move from a consumption basis to be like consumption synthesis and potentially ask a question mode kind of like kicks yeah. it up a little bit more, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, so signposting that early Q&A is going to happen is important. Yeah. Any favorite like tips, tricks, approaches that you use in terms of like maybe speaking, even participating or moderating? I think we went through the moderation ones. I mean, I think speaking on panels is it depends on how the conversation is going. I think that depending on how it is, I will play either the contrarian or the goofball. So I try to read what the room needs from an energy perspective and try to move the ball forward, advance the conversational ball to so to speak. And so sometimes if it's like, I feel like everyone's too agreeable, I will try to say something a little bit different. Or if it's getting too serious, I'll try to crack a joke to try to lighten the tone a little bit. But I mostly just flow with the conversation and see what it is. Unless sometimes if I'm really outraged, then I'll just go nuts. But I try not to do that. Yeah. I think one realization I had is that there's also a certain level as a panelist, because you don't have the full amount of time, is you have to say something digestible, but also to the point within that time allotment. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do because as a speaker, you get 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So you can actually have a logic chain. But as a panelist, you just have a two minute. Yeah. And I think it's better if you could connect what you're saying to what has already been said. So it's like you said, when you're a speaker, you're the one delivering all the points. But when you're a panelist, you need to like cherry pick other people's points to buttress your point to help connect the dots. And because you didn't have time to say those things. So it's, you've, oh, as Jeremy said, blah, therefore, blah, 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 right? So you leverage something that's already been said. I think the other thing that I've found effective is little vignettes to make the point often are more effective than just saying the thing. It's like show don't tell, I think is the phrase. And so if you can recount like a small snippet yet it kind of illustrates your point better but then again you have to be succinct you can't you know you have to have some awareness of not occupying too much airtime not like a 20 minute story of how you went shopping and then at a shopping thing you found some AI thing and then the AI thing improved your life what? I was just like joking about what a 20 minute vignette would look like on a panel yeah so I, I think there's that and I think also just like energy bringing energy always helps which is you make eye contact with the other panelists you've got energy you're not just I think that is all like really useful on a panel yeah I think what I wish I saw more on panels, the ones at least I remember as an audience, is like disagreement. I always find that very clarifying. Yes, Uh, yes, I agree. And I do try to do that when I moderate, right? Which is like push people into, hey, it sounds like you're saying this, but it sounds like you don't necessarily agree on this point. Can we dig in a little bit more? And I think that's always helpful. How about being a conference attendee, Jeremy? Pro tips, well, browses. You know, as a conference attendee, I think there's two parts of it. One is network with the people you want to talk to. And the second is serendipity. And I think there's an interesting dynamic that's there. You just got to do the like, work beforehand. Just be like, who's going to be there? Who do you want to meet with? Probably a speaker. And just kind of go through the list. Serendipity is just being open to try new things, new conversation, explore, go to the booths. I think there's a lot of stuff. So I think I always find it hard to have that balance. Sometimes if I go in without a plan, then I just end up feeling very lost. And on the other end, if you're too directed, then you just end up being very transactional in terms of how you're approaching the whole conference and not letting the atmosphere and the culture come in, Fair cover enough. yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think I err towards a little bit more serendipity, but I try to think these are the people I definitely want to talk to. And then I schedule those, but I build in like little buffer in between those scheduled points and the buffer kind of lets me wander around a little bit. But then I always know where my next waypost is. Oh, I got to get over to talk to this person. But I think also just like when talking to someone in a conference is what are you going to say that is 
is impactful in the moment. Okay, pet peeve. I hate being pitched on the spot. Wait, this sounds like if I was an attendee and a founder, I would totally pitch you on the spot. Well, I would rather have a conversation, but I don't want to be pitched. Ooh. Which I think is different. Yeah. Which is, I think sometimes people get into their talk track and they just want to dump everything on you. And you're like, uh, like, isn't the mind space I'm in right now? Versus, hey, like connecting it to something that, let's say we just had a panel on embedded finance and you have an embedded finance startup. You could start a conversation that was like, oh, it was interesting that the panel had this perspective on open banking and API access. I actually have a different view, I, I guess. And maybe this is just a stylistic preference right. versus just blah, 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 blah. And I'm raising. And you're just like, we're standing in the middle of 500 people. What do you want me to say? That's so great. Thank you. Please submit the form and we'll figure out if there's a time to talk. That kind of thing. It just, I don't know. You tell me. Do you enjoy being pitched on the spot? Should I just send everyone to you? I am okay with being pitched on a spot. And I encourage people to be way more prepared to pitch people on a spot. But with like a one minute or like a three minute version, depending on how much time you have. Because I think the issue is like, yeah, if your pitch is like you haven't prepared in that sense, then it's not the best format to deliver. So. I agree with you. I think if you can do a tight 60 seconds or do a tight three minute pitch, just do it. And then we can see how to do something else from there, right? Yeah. yeah. I think the issue is if you're like not prepared and then the whole conversation is not a good conversation, neither is it a good pitch, right? And you don't put yourself in the best foot forward. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's less, <laughs> I think you'll be, be less irritated if someone just gave you only a one minute pitch and then that's it. Yeah. The, the, the shortness of it helps. Yeah. I think that goes back to like, I mean, I was talking with another investor about storytelling and why it's important. And like in that 60 seconds, can you sort of communicate succinctly like why should we spend more time on this versus assuming that of course somebody now wants to spend like another hour talking about this thing when they can't figure out what was happening in that 60 seconds yeah yeah and it is tough right because if you ask me to explain something for an hour it's probably the most boring one hour that you ever face <laughs> at least you can do it in an hour but i think to do it in 10 minutes then do a three minute version and one minute version is actually takes a lot of work it reminds me of college. The first quarter, you write a 10-page paper. The second quarter, you write a five-page paper. And last quarter, you have to write a three-page paper. And oh, boy. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. It's to get all your arguments down into three pages. This is how you increase, you decrease the margins and you decrease the font size. That only goes so far. Your three pages <laughs> are now going to expand it to 10 pages, right? Like, it's not possible. <laughs> I definitely done that in the past. It's just like... Of course. But yeah, I, I think it, it is a really good exercise. Yeah. Like, how can you create something just with more economy? Yeah. Yeah. How should organizers go about this? We talk about participants, we talk about moderators. So obviously we have so many folks who are organizing, right? You have Hustle Fun, you have uh, Monks Adventures, you have Simple Fintech Festival, Super Returns, Iterative. So many folks are out there organizing events. Any advice that you have? I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Which is what does a great attendee experience look like for you as the organizer? What do you want that attendee to walk away feeling or experiencing? I feel like sometimes people forget about that and they're just kind of, well, I sold them a ticket. Like I got how many thousands of people to show up? Up, right. And it, I don't think they necessarily care that much about what was that attendee's experience. But I would say like for our events, like we try to think about, hey, you know, if I'm a founder attending a founder event, like did I come away with some like tangible takeaways that I can think about or apply to my own business? Did I meet other people that I thought were like nice and helpful? Right. And then, of course, like events are also marketing, which is like, did I walk away with a better impression or a better feel of Hustle Fund than before I came to one of their events? So I think it's sort of like very simply like if 
the event is the product. What is your customer's user journey? What is the outcome that you want them to have, have experienced? And maybe if like you're a bigger organizer, like FinTech Festival or whatever, it's, hey, was this a place where exhibitors were able to meet relevant potential customers, right? And attendees, customers were able to be exposed to new products and trends that they weren't otherwise able to see. Were you able to facilitate good conversations between those people? And maybe you can measure kind of that via like how many meetings were facilitated or, you know, surveying attendees. But it is a little random sometimes. They have all these conference apps where they're like, hey, ask people for a meeting. And then you just have a barrage of people no. being like, can I meet you? And you're like, who are you? Yeah. What do you do? Is this the right for, you know, I mean, I think, but it's hard, right? Because their scale is so big. So I don't know. I, I think it's a hard job to figure out how to get all these people to, you know, meet the right people that works for them. And then there is still a level of serendipity that you can't control all of it. But okay, if you know there's some serendipity, like how do you set up those serendipitous interactions in a way that is positive? How about you? You just organized a big event in Vietnam. How did you think about what were the outcomes you were trying to drive? You know, I think one reflection is that when you are putting together a panel, it's important to capture the question that people have in their minds, whatever the questions are, right? And I think a good panel question actually drives a lot of energy across the audience who wants to be there. You know, it creates self-selection in the audience, helps you create better the group of speakers, speakers nobody want to be talking about. So I think questions can be quite a fleeting thing as well. So for example, I think for example, like three months ago, AI was a very kind of question that was very much on everybody's minds. But I think now it feels a little bit, I won't say resolved, but at least it doesn't feel like it's the current question of the day in that sense. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of people put questions, they deliver the panel as if this is the answer, if that makes sense. But I think designing as a question of the month in that sense is really a critical step that you tend to do the least amount of prep in that sense. And also you said it the earliest, right? So I think that requires also you to be a little bit curatorial in your taste, if that makes sense, because you're also to some extent forecasting what a conversation topic is going to be next month as well, right? So, so that's interesting, right? I think people don't do this as much, but you know, with South by Southwest, people right. end up voting for the panels. Yeah. So you do get a bit more of that audience feedback on yeah. what's interesting to them yeah. versus the organizer having to be like, okay, I think this is what people want to talk about. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, I actually don't think I've seen that many conferences employ that strategy. And then the second thing, which now that you're talking about this, I do wish, I mean, and we could do more of this too, is the flow of the conversation, having real-time audience questions submitted. Yeah, yeah. Like as, because they're listening, right? And right. then they can sort of be like, oh, well, that's an interesting point. And then you can like put it into the stream and other people can see it. Yeah. I think that's actually kind of an interesting sort of parallel conversation because that's actually something I like about Zoom events where you kind of have the chat alongside and yeah. it's interesting to see what other other people are reacting to or resonating with. And then as a moderator, when you hit Q&A, you can go back and look at the chat and be like, oh, it seems like there was a lot of energy around this topic. Let's, right. it got upvoted or whatever it is. And so let's go ask that question. But there are probably more opportunities to leverage technology to do more of that and yeah. keep it as a conversation rather than this very, just these four people on stage kind of thing. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, you made me suddenly think of a republic versus democracy. So I think when you have the panelists and you have the moderators, more of a republic where the moderator represents the interest of the audience and then you have audience Q&A on a spectrum. Whereas I think where it's primarily the audience giving that chat is closer to a more democratic system, right? By me not necessarily have the full narrative you're trying to go for. But I think for me, I've been a moderator on both types. I can tell you that I think in terms of audience value, I think the democratic one definitely outperforms because people are more engaged throughout the entire conversation because you can ask questions anytime around. But I do feel like your role is more diminished, right? Duh. But I'm just saying, you know, you're like a little bit like a dumb terminal where you're just 
like saying, okay, it looks like everybody wants to ask this question, right? So I'm just saying like, I don't disagree with that. Actually, personally, I think the more democratic approach is probably a little bit more up to date with modern taste. I'm just saying that, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's a balance to capture both, right? It is back to your thing, which is questions are more interesting than the answers. Making yeah. it more dynamic generates more questions exactly. versus saying, hey, we presume almighty people on the platform tell us the truth, the answer. And that's just not, I think that's not the case. And we're all kind of on a journey and we're all trying to figure stuff yeah. out, right? And yeah. so I actually like that. And also, like you said, audience is actually much more sophisticated and it is quite possible that things can be answered by the audience. They don't need to be, not everything has to be filtered up to the yeah. panel, right? And so you yeah. kind of have its own organic conversation, but I guess it can be, it can be a lot to keep track of if you had to both listen to someone and track like a conversation. But I don't know, maybe that's just modern life. I mean, if we think about it, is, you know, if you had panel audience of 100 people and you answer the questions of 10 people, that means one in 10 person had a magical moment. And that probably made their conference, right? You know, because you answered their specific question versus, you know, if you had an entire just panel not address any audience Q&A on the other end of the spectrum, then, you know, it could be good content, but it's not. I don't know. I also think that it can also go off the rails where sometimes you see these questions and you're like, who is in this room right now? Are they insane? It's just complaining about democracy, basically. I mean, you know, yeah, I guess one okay, one issue about that approach is that it does come feel like a little bit ping-pongy because one question could, the top voter question could be automatically linked to the fifth voter question. So, but you can, I think yeah. that's your prerogative as the moderator. You yeah, don't exactly. have to go in like rank order or whatever. You're just like, yeah, exactly. I don't think these are actually that interesting. I'm not going to, but hey, here are some other things that like, and you could collapse a bunch of things into buckets too, right? Which is yeah. like part of it. But, Oh, this gives me, now I kind of want to this at our next event. Yeah, I know. That's something that uh, on the Brave Forecast side or so, we're starting to like poke around and say, oh, it wouldn't be fun to do something in person. We mentioned that before in the past as well. So we yeah. should do it. Yeah, we should do it. Yeah, maybe some kind of unconference, maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Just try I, it. it's, well, I think, I don't know. It's like one of those things where, you know, conferences, you always try to get these like famous people to speak. They're like the headliners. Right. But often like you can actually have really possibly more substantive conversations with like more level subject matter experts right it's kind of yeah. like twitter you know yeah. sometimes you end up following people on twitter who are not famous per se but they know yeah. a lot about a specific thing and that's like a challenging dynamic because you if you're the organizer you want a famous person because you want someone famous to put on the website be like oh you know him cook is coming right but actually uh -huh. the person who probably knows a lot is oh you're like the engineering manager in charge of the hardware for the macbook pro or something you know, whatever it is and so how do you generate those conversations right i think that's actually kind of like an interesting problem to me that i often I'm like, and it's not because famous people don't know anything, but it's more like famous people are much more constrained in what they can say publicly. So then they end up sounding like press releases. Unless they're retired. Because like their yeah. PR teams kind of be like, hey, here's our official position, right? Stay on point. Don't say ramp and move the stock price. Yeah. On that note, I'd love to kind of wrap things up and I'd love to summarize the three big takeaways. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for sharing about our things that we hate most <laughs> in a conference. So we're talking about low value, low density, low charisma conversation, but also kind of I think talking about the converse, which is why the moments that can make a conference magical and special uh, and serendipitous. Secondly, uh, thanks for sharing, I think, how speakers and moderators uh, can improve uh, how they speak. So we talked about some hacks, some tricks, some tips about how to um, position the conversation better, to be aware of what role is being built and displayed, but also figuring out where the conversation is going. Lastly, thanks so much for sharing about how as attendees, what do we appreciate? How do we organize it? What are the kind of events that we're looking out for. So on that note, thank you so much, Yen, for sharing. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.